Hey friends, we hope you enjoy this sermon from St. Jude Oak Cliff. And if nobody has told you today that they love you, we do. But more importantly, God does. All right, let's jump into our sermon. Let me pray. Lord, would you give me clarity of thought, clarity of speech? Allow my words this morning to honor you, um, to seek to be faithful to the scriptures and to your will. And would you allow it to encourage and embolden us, Lord, to continue to be faithful disciples of you. We ask all of this in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. Um, if you weren't here last week, I started what will be the last of this two-week sermon series on the very complex and devastating war that is taking place in Gaza and Israel right now. And I said last week, and I'll say it again, I cannot speak definitively about this. No pastor can. No pastor in 30 minutes can say, here's how we think about this entire issue in 30 minutes. And not only that, it would probably be mis- misguided if I did, seeing as how I'm not a geopolitical expert. And so what I wanted to do, though, that I started last week, and I'm going to finish this week, is there were two alarming trends I saw among Christians that I believe deserve consideration. One is I saw anti-Semitic rhetoric in the form of, well, this is what you get for rejecting Jesus, to which I would say that is a very unfaithful way to talk about the people. And we use the Pharisees as a case study. And then this week, the issue that I want to tackle, the other response that I think deserves some rebuke or at least consideration is this pro-Israel rhetoric without any qualifications. I, I, last week, again, I, I discussed the rise of anti-Semitic rhetoric, but this week what I'm seeing is sort of this blanket support of, I stand with Israel no matter what. And I saw people reposting rhetoric about Israel having the right to defend themselves by any means necessary. And they talked about Palestine as if it were only a land and not also a place where millions of people live who have no connections to Hamas at all. And we've seen the reports coming out of the UN as to what's going on in Gaza. It's heartbreaking what the people of Gaza are facing right now. Now, look, wisdom says war rhetoric and war tactics are not always the same. In fact, our Bible is full of war rhetoric that we would say that's not literal. And Martin and I will attack many of that when we get to the Genesis sermon series that we'll start. So, so I don't want to pretend as if every time someone's talking about war, they're, they're being literal. I know that. And wisdom also says that every piece of news that we get is not always going to be accurate, especially during war, because propaganda is a very real tool of warfare. So again, I, I don't want to pretend as if everything we're hearing is the truth. But the reality is, is that 45% of Gaza are made up of children. And those are innocent young lives caught in the crossfire. And the UN relief aid continues to say that if relief does not make its way to Palestine, people will die of thirst and starvation. So do I have a solution for Israel? No, of course not. But like I said last week, I do have theological priorities that have been true for God and therefore should be true of God's people that he has been driving home from the beginning. And so if these are true of God, if these are his priorities and something he's been communicating to us from the jump, then they should be our priorities too, even and especially in the midst of complicated times like war. And so I want to talk about what it means to say, hey, we support Israel with a caveat of as long as we maintain these priorities when we say that. There's nothing wrong with supporting Israel. It just means that when you support Israel or any other country or any other person or any other thing, you cannot allow that support to violate these priorities of God. So the first thing we need to remember when we say we support Israel is we need to remember the purpose for which Israel was chosen in the first place. 
If you're going to say, I want to support Israel, you need to support her to the end that she is fulfilling her purpose for which she was chosen in the first place. And the reason why she was chosen is election is always for the sake of mission. To be elect by God is always for the sake of mission. When John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, he's down by the Jordan and he's baptizing people in preparation for his cousin's message of repentance. And John sees some Pharisees and Sadducees and he says to them in Matthew 3, 9, he says, don't presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God will be able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. So here's John the Baptist. He's baptizing people in preparation for his cousin, his younger cousin. And he looks at the religious Jewish leaders and he says, hey, don't say to yourself, we are the children of Abraham. Because if God wants to, he can turn these stones into the children of Abraham. Now, John says some other things, and that rhetoric that John uses is in keeping with first century rhetoric, and it's also in keeping with John, who's the last of the great prophets. Martin has said this many times. That's why John's such a weirdo, right? Eating locusts, wearing weird stuff. He's meant to be an Old Testament prophet who is ushering in Jesus. And so, yes, he rebukes them in this prophetic rebuke, but in this rebuke, I don't want you to miss the value that the Jewish leaders place on their family lineage. It is a point of pride that they are Father Abraham's many sons. Many sons, huh? Yep, y'all tracking? It is a point of pride that they belong to Abraham. And why wouldn't they be proud of that? I would be proud of that. If my great-great-great-grandparent talked with God face-to-face, that would come up at parties. Like, if I were hanging out with you, I'd be like, oh, have I ever told you about the time my great-pops was speaking to God face-to-face and he got a special, it's come up? Okay, just wanted to make sure everyone knew. That would come up a lot. There is nothing wrong with being proud of that, right? It is an incredible thing that of all the peoples of the earth, God comes to Abram. Especially when you give it the beginning of Genesis, right? It's just a (laughs) of disaster. And then Genesis 12 says, and so God went and picked Abram of all the people of the world. And he says to him, I'm going to make you really special. Father Abraham, in fact, had many sons. And when God comes to him, he is barren. He has no sons. And God makes him promises. And out of being elect is an unbelievable gift. But if we click on that covenant, that right there, right there in the text, and say, what exactly happened with Father Abraham? We see in Genesis 12 and 5 that God makes a covenant with him. Really incredible. He's never done this with any other people at this point. And he promises to make him a great nation. A man with no children is going to be a great nation. And God says to you, I'm going to give you land, the promised land. I'm going to give you seed, a child, and I'm going to make you a blessing. Land, seed, and blessing. Amazing. Amazing. For God to condescend to Abraham and say, I'm going to do this incredible thing for you. But if you keep reading in your Bible, you find out to what end. Why did God choose Abraham? What is going to happen out of this? Now, God didn't choose him because he was deserving. God chose him for no other reason than God has the gracious right to bestow upon us gifts. But he keeps going. He says, but this will be the result of your election. Genesis 18, 18 through 19 says this. Abraham is to become a great and powerful nation. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will command his children and his house after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. And this is how the Lord will fulfill to Abraham what he promised him. Election, land, seed, and blessing, mission. 
you and your offspring will bless the world because you will act with righteousness and justice. Election, I will do to you amazing things that you cannot currently fathom. But mission, you will be a blessing to the world because you will act with righteousness and justice. Election is always for the sake of mission. This is not a one-off theme with Abraham either, right? A little bit later in the Gospels, the Jewish leaders are perturbed because Jesus goes around doing things they can't do, like heal people, right? He's winning followers, and they're like, "Mm, we don't really love that. And so in John 9, there's a story of Jesus healing a blind man. And, and the Jewish leaders come, and they begin to question the blind man. He keeps answering it the same way. I once was blind, now I see. I do not understand what y'all don't understand. I once was blind, and now I see. In fact, that's pretty much the call of all Christians everywhere. And then he begins to say, and he goes, you guys have a lot of questions about him. Would you like to be his disciple? And they are perturbed. They're like, oh. And we see their response to him in 928. They ridiculed him and said, no, you are that man's disciple, but we're Moses' disciples. Okay, buddy? We know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, we don't even know where he's from. Which, he's from Bethlehem. It's written in Micah. I don't know why they're not paying attention to the scriptures, but anyways. But you can see, again, just like when, when John rebukes him, yes, the rebuke is because they're missing it. But just like they're proud of being a part of Father Abraham's family, you can see their pride of being Moses' disciples. And again, why wouldn't you be? God spoke to Moses. He handed him the law. Are they silly gooses for missing the whole point? Yes. But wouldn't you be proud to be Moses' disciple, right? Moses gets plucked out of the Nile because there is a genocidal maniac on the loose wanting to kill all the Jewish boys and he gets pulled out of the Nile by that genocidal maniac's daughter and he gets raised up in the Egyptian home and he leads his people, the sons of Abraham, out of Egypt. He becomes the one mediator between God and man who facilitates the covenant between God and the nation of Israel. Unbelievable, why wouldn't you wanna be Moses' disciples? Again, a covenant is given through Moses. Election happens through Moses. Abraham got land, seed, and blessing. Moses and the entire nation of Israel gets this in Exodus 19, 3 through 6. It says, Moses went up to the mountain to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain. And this is what you must say to the house of Jacob and explain to the Israelites. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, If you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples, although the whole earth is mine. And you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. And these are the words that you're to say to the Israelites. Covenant, election, being chosen by God. This is an amazing thing to say you're the disciples of Moses. Just like Abraham was chosen out of everybody. Moses was plucked out of the Nile and talked to God. And was offered this covenant. Like no wonder they want to say they belong to Moses. Because the disciples of Moses are kingdoms of priests. In a holy nation. Out of all nations of the earth, God chose this one. This little rink-a-dink nation that had just been enslaved in Egypt. And they're on their way to the promised land. He didn't choose the mighty Egyptians. He didn't choose the fierce Babylonians or the warrior Canaanites. No, he said, I want Israel. It's amazing to be elected. It's amazing to be elected, to talk with God. And so Moses waddles down the mountain. He's like, hey, guys, good news. I just spoke to God, and he would like to make you his own possession. You all will get to be a kingdom priest and a holy nation. What do you say? 
And they say, we will do all that you command us. I mean, they fudged a little, but they're in, right? They're like, we want this. And he says, okay, Moses, go back down there and tell them what it looks like to be my people. And this is where we get Exodus 22, 21 through 7. He gives them the Ten Commandments. and He says, hey, you want to be my elect people? This is what the mission looks like. You must not exploit a resident alien or oppress him since you were resident aliens in the land of Egypt. You must not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them, they will no doubt cry to me and I will hear their cry. And my anger will burn and I will kill you with the sword. And then your wives will be widows and your children will be fatherless. If you lend silver to my people, to the poor person among you, you must not be like a creditor to him. You must not charge him interest. If you ever take your neighbor's cloak as collateral, return it to him before the sunset, for it is only covering of his clothing of his body. What will he sleep in? And if he cries out to me, I will hear him, because I am gracious. Election. You'll be my own possession out of all the nations of the world. Mission. You're going to look out for the vulnerable among you. And if you don't, I will hear them, Israel. We could keep going. This election for the sake of mission, it's everywhere in the scriptures. In fact, we hold a whole top class on it. You can go to YouTube and week after week after week, I will show you how election was always for the sake of mission. In fact, if you go to the prophets, they are expressing their frustration toward the people of God because they failed to live up to their missional call. And the thing that the prophets bring to Israel over and over again is you're harming the vulnerable and you're exploiting people for your gain. In other words, you forgot your mission. And it's interesting because they would call on their election. They'd say, hey, God, we know you're your people. Here's your sacrifices. We good, bud? And God's like, no, that's not what it means to be my people. I didn't choose you because I just am bored and I just wanted a people to make sacrifices to me. I chose you so that you would go into this world and show the world what I'm like. You think I'm like that? You think I'm okay with you kicking in the head of the vulnerable as long as you bring me a goat? That's not me. That's not what I told you would be like to be my people. From start to finish, the Bible tells us when you are chosen by God, it is because you have been chosen for his mission to partner with him in this world. So if you say, I stand with Israel, great. We should stand against any tyranny anywhere in the world. But what Israel must stand for as she stands up against this is what God has always asked her to stand for. She is meant to be a people set apart in a city on a hill. They are meant to be a royal priesthood and a holy nation. A holy nation that's meant to be a blessing to the world. So whatever support you have for Israel, it should be contextualized by understanding what it means to be chosen by God. We are not chosen as an end unto itself. We are chosen so that we might be on mission in this world. Which I don't know if you all know, but you've been chosen by God. You have been elect by God, not unto yourself. You have been given gifts by God so that you may get to work in this world. If the first thing we need to remember is election is for the sake of mission, the other thing we need to remember is that when we say we support Israel, Whatever support we lend must be in keeping with righteousness. In other words, if we support Israel or any other country, person, whatever, I don't care if it's your aunt, your uncle, your grandparent, you only can support whatever you're supporting so far as it aligns with God's good purposes. 
Like as an aunt, I love my nieces and nephews. I was just there. And I hope that they will say, I, I stand with my aunt. But if I am being cruel to someone else, I hope that they will not stand for that. I want them to be the kind of people that stand with God first. Listen, the attack on Israel by Hamas was an unholy evil. It's devastating. And evil should be defeated. And very wise men and women will have to make very terrible decisions in how to fight this war. I, I do not envy that war as hell. And it is a privilege for me to stand here and to preach this message in this part of the world where I am free from tyranny. Right? I want to be careful that I'm not being misunderstood. I do not think at all that Israel has an easy path toward the defense and protection of its own people, which it has the right to do. I, I am not saying that. Complexity upon complexity. But the scriptures have consistently shown us that evil cannot drive out evil. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. And empire cannot drive out empire. The call of Christ, the call to be the people of God is a difficult one. It calls us higher further up and further in. And perhaps no better teaching block could portray what it means to be the people of God than the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus comes and he's the Messiah and he says, this is what it looks like to live the good life. This is what it looks like to live the blessed life. In Matthew 5, he tells us, blessed are the poor in spirit for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Whatever response Israel has to Hamas, and I know this is difficult, I don't pretend to have the answers, but whatever response they have, it can and should support it if it demonstrates mercy upon the Palestinian citizens, especially the children. I do stand with Israel. I hope that Hamas's evil is taken out. But whatever response that is, because I am a child of God, I must hope for mercy upon the Palestinian people. I will support whatever decisions they make if it promotes peace and seeks an end to this war. Again, Israel faces an impossibly difficult decision, but the people of God must not support actions that go beyond the scope of ending Hamas and instead terrorize civilians caught in the crossfire. Aid, food, and water to civilians are the works of peacemakers. And causing unnecessary suffering among the vulnerable is not in keeping with the Savior that we follow. The best way to support Israel is to call her to be a royal priesthood and a holy nation. You will not defeat Hamas with weapons of Hamas, but Israel has the opportunity to be the children of Abraham and the disciples of Moses to be just and to be right and to be a blessing to this world. And if she does that, she will find all the support she needs. And I don't mean from us, I mean from her God. Again, I'm not a geopolitical expert, I'm a theologian. And I wanted to address some alarming trends in the rhetoric I observed among Christians. This is not a commentary to Israel, this is a commentary to us and our support of Israel. But I want to leave you with something to consider. Martin and I had a great convo this week. And he pointed out Jesus' own lineage in Matthew 1 as a reminder of what it means to be, be the people of God in this particular situation. So for those who are bent toward the anti-Semitic rhetoric, to think that we are so proud of the fact that we're Christians and there's something inherently wrong with what it means to be Jewish, if you're bent in that direction, 
that I want to remind you that your union with Jesus, your own very salvation means you are united body and soul to a Jewish man. You are grafted into the family of a Jewish man. And you are true Israel if you are in Christ. So when you speak hate against the Jewish people, you really just speak hate against yourself and your brothers and sisters. But if you are bent in the direction of we exalt Israel without any conditions, without realizing what it means to be the chosen people of God, then you only need to look to his genealogy in Matthew 1 to realize election was always for the sake of mission. If you look at Jesus' own lineage, and it's odd in and of itself that Matthew would list women, but you have Tamar and Rahab who were Canaanites, Ruth, a Moabite, and Bathsheba, a Hittite. And these women were brought into the family of God because God has always wanted his family to bless the nations and to bring them into his family. Jesus' own family blood is coursing with the blood of outsiders who were brought in. As a reminder, this is what it means to be the family of God. Matthew 1 reminds us he was, in fact, Jewish. And he came to save the world, not just Israel. And furthermore, Jesus was born as a baby. Now, to us, that makes sense because we're all born as babies. But what you have to understand in the ancient world is when gods or goddesses were born in the ancient world, they were born in full human capacity. They were, they were born looking like me with all of their gifts and abilities. So the fact that we, as the people of God, say, no, our God was born as a baby demonstrates his unbelievable solidarity with humanity, with babies, with infants, with toddlers, with children, with teens and adults. We have a truly empathetic high priest. No wonder he hears the cries of suffering children. He once was one. He knows what it's like to run from the tyranny of Herod. No wonder he hears their cries. The truth is, the support of Israel, this no matter what support of Israel jargon, was actually born out of a theological system called dispensationalism. I inherited this theological system. You go down the road to Dallas Theological Seminary, it's the epicenter. This is where many of this, we support Israel no matter what theological jargon was actually born. I sat in classes with charts up on the wall that told me that Israel and the church are separated right now and someday God will come back and bring them back together. So our job as the people of God who are grafted in is to support Israel no matter what because Christ will come back for her and he'll graft us back together. This is a theological system, which is why the Christians have to be loyal to God. And being loyal to God means you're loyal to his people Israel. I could have razzle-dazzled you with charts about the end times, trust me. I got them. And I would have looked like the person that's like, you know, a little off, just a little bit in the memes. You know what I'm talking about, the conspiracy theory guy? I could have done that because, trust me, I got A's in those classes because I care more about A's than actually theological truth. Which, if I had done that, if I had razzle-dazzled you with that, you would realize just how difficult this whole enterprise is because anytime we mix religion and war, we're talking about more than war. But I didn't want to set up a straw man in dispensationalism and go, this is why we don't just support Israel no matter what, because this is a theological system that we don't subscribe to here at St. Jude. Because one, I'm, I just have no, no desire to set up a straw man and take punches at it, because I think very faithful people hold on to that theological system. But the main reason I didn't want to do that is, one, it's fairly confusing, and I don't have enough time. Like, it would be a consuming message. And secondly, it would make you think you need a master's in theology to make sense of what's going on in the world. And you don't. You don't. 
And so many times pastors get up there and we talk about all these complex theological positions and all of this stuff and say, now that's why we have to support Israel. But the reality is, is I just wanted to bring us back to some very basic truths. You don't need a master's in theology to think well about what it means to follow Jesus. You don't. Now, are there complex things that are important for us to sift through and things like that? Sure. But the reality is, is we're going to have more complex current events that continue to happen. We just are in the broken world that we live in. And I don't want you thinking, I can't wait to get to church to find out what Martin and I could tell me I need to think. And so instead, I just want to give you some priorities that should always be true. And so here's some priorities. If you're wondering, how do I think and talk well about what's going on in the world when I have media coming at me 24-7, when there are people who just feel hatred because hatred gets clicks and clicks equal money? Like, how am I supposed to soar through a world like this? And here are just a couple of priorities that I think should always be true when we talk about things or we talk about people. The first one is this. Our speech should always be seasoned with love, and we should talk about people as if they're image bearers. If you begin talking about people as if they do not bear the image of God, I think you're out of bounds. The second thing is God calls his people to something higher. We, the people, all people have an appetite for violence. That's why God calls us to be peacemakers. Third, if in doubt, just look at Jesus and be like him. If you don't know what else to do or say, just look at Jesus and and be like him. Fourth, God's final answer to violence was to take it upon himself and put an end to it. We will not always have violence with us. So don't get an appetite for it. It should be a nasty taste in your mouth because it will not be there in the end. And then finally, these three remain faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Friends, we have been chosen by God, and therefore we have work to do to show a lost and dying world that there are people who lead with love who desire to live lives of righteousness and justice and who want to be peacemakers. May our speech and our lives and our media demonstrate that we believe that Christ came to save the whole world. And we are so excited that we were chosen by him to participate in that grand mission. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word and thank you for the reminder that you love the world. You came to save the world. God, I do pray for Israel. I pray for an end of tyranny and terrorism. I pray that Israel would be wise. I pray that she'd be free from the destruction and the violence that comes for her so often, Lord. And I pray for the people of Palestine. I pray for the people of Gaza. I pray especially for the most vulnerable that they would receive the aid that they need today. God, you tell us to seek life. And you tell us that you are the God of life. So when we don't know what else to do, we just come to you. And we ask you to be who you say you are over and over again, the God who hears the cries of the vulnerable. God, we pray for an end of Hamas. We pray for an end of tyranny. Lord, we look forward to the day when we will be united with you. And whether it happens the way the dispensationalists think it will, the millennials, whatever, Lord, I'm just grateful we all agree that where we're headed is to a place free from that. Would you bring that home to us now, Lord? Bless my friends. Make us peacemakers. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen.